When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Recorded live. Greetings, greetings, greetings. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everybody, for another edition of Truth Be Told. My name is Jesse, and you can also find me on YouTube. My YouTube channel is, well, it's basically my same name, except it has Vassal. It's Jesse Vassal, and all one word. All you got to do is type in YouTube and just type in Jesse Vassal. That's all one word, and you'll be able to find my YouTube channel as well. Uh, today's broadcast title is Words of a Beast Part 2. And we concluded Words of the Beast Part 1 with some current events, and this is where we're going to start off with in this broadcast. Now, if you uh, are just joining me, and if you look at, on the notes of today's broadcast, we're, we are going to be covering the last portion of the PDF that I have sent to a couple of people, um, <clears throat> followed by um, some quotes from the Beast itself declaring the Pope's infallible and we're also going to be looking at a couple of the Pope's titles that confirms he fulfills Second Thessalonians 2 4 and some quotes of the priest declaring they have power to forgive sin, which is which um, is defined as blasphemy in Mark two verse seven. And I will just go ahead and read that real quick right now, starting in verse 6. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and, re- and reasoning in their hearts, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Now, obviously, the Jews were questioning Jesus at this time. And obviously, we know who Jesus is. He is God manifest in the flesh. And the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. But no earthly, carnal, fleshly man can ha- has power to forgive sins but God alone. And so we're going to be looking at a couple of those quotes to further um, validate um, the the historical view of what this beast is. And then we're going to be diving back into history. And we are going to be reading the development of the papacy from Gregory VII to Boniface the eighth nice little chunk of history here uh, as uh, written by J.A. Wiley out of the history of Protestantism. Um, I like to incorporate some history texts within uh, these broadcasts just so if there's anyone out there in the empty theater room <laughs> that has not heard this before, they will be able to get a little bit of a crash course with each broadcast that uh, I do or others are doing and these types of things. So that's why I figured I would incorporate portions of history from historical uh, writings and stuff like that, detailing um, the papacy and its developments throughout the ages. (sighs) Okay, so where do we leave off of? Oh, yes. In the PDF that I have created, I am at the very tail end of page number eight, 
where I where I went over Matthew 24, 4 through 7. And then afterwards, I put in there the Pope masquerades as a man of peace. While it is the Black Pope, which is the Jesuit general, working behind the scenes on both sides of the conflict, fomenting the various conflicts of the world. Rather it be on the one side or the other. Um, and isn't it also amazing and interesting that you know, you can go with which uh, the the Jesuit general. I think his name is Adolfo Nicholas. I think that's the present one. See, it's it's hard to even realize who the names of these guys are because it is very rare you see these guys come out of the darkness and step into the light of the cameras. Um, you might even be able to do a Google search and just type in a type in Adolfo Nicholas and. Just go into the news section under Google and just see how many times he pops up. It is not very often he pops up on your media streams and these types of things. And you have to ask yourself why. Because um, he works in the shadows. He works behind the he works behind the scenes. And so what you see out in the public is for exactly public consumption. But just like in Daniel 11, it, said, it states that both the king's hearts will be to do mischief, and they shall speak lies at one table. <clears throat> With the father of lies, that is Satan himself, working through the papacy and the Jesuit order and these types of things. So, so this next order, or this next order, this next uh, article, the Economic Collapse blog, this is out of, and uh, and what happened in September? Well, the Pope came here in the U.S. on the U.S. soil, and again, he didn't kiss the ground. But he doesn't really have to kiss the ground because his predecessors did that for him. So already signifying what, what this land belongs to. So he doesn't really have to kiss the ground. I mean, he can if he wanted to, but you know, he doesn't really have to. That was already done for him by his predecessors, Pope John Paul II and I think the previous one before him. Um, the UN launched the Global Goals, a blueprint for a united world, and which Pope Francis signed off on. Now, this little piece of current events can, is, could be probably a little bit nerve-wracking. And, and also, you know, it's, it, it's, this also goes in line of what the, what book I intend on reading after I get done with the papacy is the Antichrist, a demonstration. I have ecclesiastical megalomania uh, that I have in mind, or I have uh, The Enemy Behind the Mask by Bill Hughes. I'm deciding between both those, but I just don't know which one I want to do yet. But this, um, these goals really fall in line with what ecclesiastical megalomania talks about. Um, so I might actually start off, and I might actually read that on my uh, YouTube channel, in which after the papacy is the Antichrist, a demonstration is completed, I will probably go forward with uh, the reading of Ecclesiastical Megalomania, which really deals in detail certain key encyclicals like Rerum Novarum and, uh, you know, and these types of things. Um, that really gives us a full scope of uh, who is in control of this quote-unquote new world order, you know. So, so anyways, we're going to go ahead and start reading this uh, article. 
I'm not going to read the whole thing because I didn't put the whole thing here because I don't think it was necessary to put the whole thing in. So, <laughs> so I'm just going to go ahead and start off here. And it states, if you live in New York City, you are probably aware of the quote-unquote global citizen festival. All you got to do is type that in. You'll be able to see what that was about. That was held in Central Park on Saturday where some of the biggest names in the music industry promoted these new quote-unquote global goals. The following is how the New York Daily News described the gathering. Quote, it was a party with a purpose. Hmm. A star-studded jamboree and an impassioned plea to end poverty rocked the great lawn in Central Park as more than 60,000 fans gathered Saturday for the fourth annual Global Citizen Festival. The feel-good event. There we go with this self-esteem nonsense. You know, the, the needs, you know, you know, put Jesus Christ aside and just concentrate on the needs of the people so you can edify yourself. The feel-good event time to coincide with the annual gathering of world leaders at the United Nations General Assembly featured performances by Beyonce, Pearl Jam, Ed Sheeran, and Coldplay. End quote. And then and it wasn't just the entertainment industry that was promoting this new UN plan for a united world. Pope Francis traveled to New, to new York to give the address that kicked off the conference where this new agenda was unveiled. And... You know, he also stated that he comes in his own name and in the name of and in the name of his church. And that kind of gives you an idea of who is behind this whole thing because there is no salvation outside the church. Rather temporal or spiritual, regardless, you have to acknowledge Big Poppy here. <laughs> You have to acknowledge paparazzi, okay? <laughs> you know, it's it's not really that funny, but, um, but uh, you know, it, it is. I mean, even though it does seem like a broken record to any of the listeners out there from these people that are talking about this stuff, well, it has to be a broken record because we got a lot of brick minds out there that just re- refuse to. Uh, acknowledge what the papacy is. <clears throat> so and it wasn't just the entertainment industry that was promoting this new UN plan for a united world. Pope Francis traveled to New York to give the address that kicked off the conference where this new agenda was unveiled. Quote, Pope Francis gave his backing to the new development agenda in an address to the UN General Assembly before the summit to adopt the 17-point plan opened, calling it, quote, an important sign of hope, end quote at a very troubling time in the Middle East and Africa. Now, I got to do, refer to the first article and connect the dots. And also, what's very unique is in the aspect of China. China, this very communistic nation, is now involved. Now, as you're going to realize later on in this broadcast, I'm going to go over the history between Gregory VII and Boniface VIII. And in between this, we're going to get into the aspect of investiture, basically, where here we have a de facto government declaring that he will appoint bishops and cardinals and these types of things. But wait a minute here. No, that job belongs to the Pope and the Pope alone. He only can elect offices of his church into any branch of government in this world. But China has, has, 
had a record of basically saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, the, the, the church is sovereign to the state. Okay. And, well, it seems very interesting now that here in the late, you know, the last year or so, it seems like China has been kind of letting the Vatican off the hook a little bit. And isn't it weird now that China is now involved in this war over there in Syria with Russia and ISIS and these types of things? It makes you think. <sighs> when Danish Prime Minister Lars Rasmussen struck his gavel to approve the development roadmap, Leaders and diplomats from the 193 UN member states stood and applauded loudly. 193 UN member states. Uh, one thing I do have to realize is I don't know if the papal flag is going to be at the head of all the flags over there in the United Nations, but uh, one thing that happened when uh, Palestine was basically declared a state according to the UN, they actually had a special position for that flag. Um, at the United Nations. Now, when the Pope came to address the United Nations, they put the papal flag right next to the Palestinian flag. Um, now, I don't know if that's going to be a permanent stay, but if it is, and if that flag is, ahead, is in front of all the other nation states, that will be a very, very unique symbol indeed. Of course, you know, the masses won't understand it. The masses won't understand the symbolism of it. But those that have their eyes open will. And they'll be able to basically put two and two together. I don't know if the flag is still there. I don't know if it's lofting in the breeze, you know, you know, as a symbol to the world that Big Poppy, Big Papa, <laughs> is, uh, is at the head of everything. So I, I'm not sure. I'll have to look more into that. But I do know while he was here, that flag was positioned ahead of all the other flags at the United Nations. Okay, so moving on. Then the summit immediately turned to the real business of the three-day meeting. Implementation of the goals, which is expected to cost $3.5 trillion to $5 trillion every year until 2030. Wow. Okay, so where will the trillions of dollars that are needed to implement these new quote-unquote global goals come from? I'll give you a hint. They are not coming to. They're not going to come from the poor nations. They're going to come from the so-called protestant nations, which is which are the richer nations. That means us and your tax dollars. That means that that means mine and yours will be supporting this effort. Yes, indeed. So, you know, you know, we're we're going to be supporting the Antichrist goals. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Isn't that nice to know where your money's going to be going to every time you you know April fifteenth comes around, and that's just great, isn't it? <laughs> when you read over these global goals, many of them sound quite good. After all, who wouldn't want to end hunger? I know that I would like to end hunger if I could. But the key is to look behind the language and understand what is really being said. And what is really being said is that the elite want to take their dream of a one-world system to the next level. So, goal number one is to end poverty in all its forms everywhere. 
Translation, centralized banks, IMF, World Bank, Fed to control all finances, and who, and who essentially is the Fed? Well, who controls the federal bank? The Jesuit order, the Knights of Malta. You know, the Knights of Malta are basically the key bankers of this world, essentially, and they answer to the Pope, you know, and this goal is a digital one-world currency in a cashless society, okay? And, well, and poverty and all its forms everywhere. So by doing this, and this is primarily, I think, one of the reasons why we have this trouble in Syria, because just like Gaddafi, he had his currency backed by gold. Everyone was living well. And I'm not saying Gaddafi was a great guy, but they ousted him. They established a centralized bank in, in uh, Libya. And, well, all these other nations that the U.S. have been warring after are really nations that do not have a centralized bank, okay? And I don't think Syria has a centralized bank. Iran may now have a centralized bank because now all of a sudden it seems like Iran and the U.S. are now becoming friends. It's kind of you win a nuclear deal and these types of things. So I don't know what's going on in Iran, but it is very interesting. Even though Iran seems like <laughs> seems like they are on the side of Assad, you know, for public consumption. It's just all a whole bunch. I mean, it's a mess. It is a mess. But the goal is is to create these centralized banks, IMF, World Bank, Fed to control all finances, digital one-world currency, and a cashless society. That's what end poverty in all its forms everywhere means. So end poverty means that you are going to be controlled, essentially. End hunger, achieve food security, and improve nutrition and promote sustainable agriculture. I just got a simple translation for that, and that's GMO. And all you got to do is just look at Monsanto and then research Monsanto, figure out who the high players in Monsanto is. You'll probably be able to trace them back to Jesuit-trained, Jesuit-style universities, Catholic colleges and these types of things, and then you'll be able to connect the dots on there as well. So it's the same thing. <sighs> Ensure healthy lives and promote well-being for all and all, for all at all ages. Translation, mass vaccinations, codex elementaris. Okay. Goal four, I love this word. Ensure inclusive and equitable quality education and promote lifelong learning opportunities for all. Inclusive. And the translation is UN propaganda, brainwashing through compulsory education from cradle to grave. And this compulsory education is going to comply with canon law, the Roman Catholic system. From cradle to grave. So anything that deems exclusive is not equitable quality education. So if you're teaching your child exclusive type learning, that is totally contrary to the global aim of a global government under the Vatican, well, then the state's just going to have to come and take your child away and confiscate all your property, and then your child will be put in a foster-type care, and then they will receive the proper education so that they could become obedient 
workers. Okay, this is goal number four. Goal number five, achieve gender equality and empower all women and girls. Translation, population control through forced family planning. Forced family planning. Now you see why that you have this huge idea of, of, of sodomy and, you know, man on man, woman on woman, because, hey, by doing that, you know they cannot reproduce. And so, therefore, you have this population control going forward. You know, you have uh, the aspect of abortion, the abortion pill, you know, the birth, I mean, birth control pill, all these types of things, you know, and again, the same-sex marriage, same-sex family, you know, there are some states that actually list on their uh, uh, paperwork as the parents of the child as not mom and dad anymore, but parent one, parent two, and I heard there are some states that are fighting that, but literally that's basically what it states, parent one, parent two. Mom and dad, the phrase mom and dad is just basically, that's just not politically correct. So we have to we have to do away with that. You know, just parent one, parent two. We need this population control. And that's what this gender equality is all about. Goal number six, ensure availability and sustainable management of water and sanitation for all. So privatize all water sources and don't forget to add fluoride. Then goal number seven, ensure access to affordable, reliable, sustainable, and modern energy for all. Smart grid with smart meters on everything. Peak pricing. <clears throat> so this whole smart grid system, the whole smart meter, an aspect that the smart meters will be able to switch you on and switch you off is whenever they want to. You know, I mean, I could be, I could be talking to you right now, and I could just be switched off out a blink of an eye, just like a rapture, huh? <laughs> you know, but I mean, that's basically where it's, where it's coming down to. Uh, smart grid, smart meters on everything. The smart grid system, think of uh, Windows 10. That's, that's, that's a huge one. I don't know too much about that, but Windows 10 is a good example of that. So ensure access to affordable, reliable, sustainable, and modern energy for all. That's goal number seven. Goal number eight, promote sustained, inclusive, and sustainable economic growth, full and productive employment, and decent work for all. Translation, the TPP, Trans-Pacific Partnership, free trade zones that favor mega-corporate interests. Trans-Pacific Partnership, that basically means, no, that's not going to be employment and decent work for all. That's just going to be, you know, just basic. All that is, all this is, is essentially, you know, again, promote sustained, inclusive, and sustainable economic growth. So if you are exclusive to these, to the sustainable economic growth, if you don't go along with this and support the beast, and you are exclusive to this, well, then hit the road, Jack. You're out of here. Sizzle fits off with your head. You cannot be a part of this new world order. <clears throat> so what does that do with the common worker? Well, I mean, it's going to get tougher and tougher. 
It's going to get tougher for me. It's going to get tougher for every worker out there. You know, I mean, eventually it's going to come down to the point where, you know, you might want to find yourself a small business to go and work at. Again, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not saying not to go and work, okay? You know, I know a lot of people say, oh, well, what are we supposed to do then? Well, you know, the thing is the time is coming where, again, you're going to have to make a choice. And this is what people like me and others are doing. Is just, we're just revealing what is coming down the pike. All right, this is what's coming, and prophecy dictates this. <laughs> okay, um, you know, sad but true. I mean, it's it's a hideous reality, but it's reality nonetheless. So, goal number nine: build resilient infrastructure, promote inclusive. There's that in, word inclusive again, and sustainable industrialization, and foster innovation. Inclusive, promote inclusive. Everything is about this inclusivity. We all have to be as one. I don't care what you worship. I don't care about this. Well, I care what you worship. As long as it's not Jesus of the Bible and it's like some kind of other Jesus that is kind of lower than the Bible, then you can worship that Jesus, like the ecumenical type Jesus. You can worship that one. But the real one, you know, the true Jesus of the Bible, we can't have none of that. We can't have... No man can cometh unto the Father but by me, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No, 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 no. We can't have this because that's exclusive. That's separate from this world. You have to be inclusive, not exclusive. So build resilient infrastructures, promote inclusive and sustainable industrialization, and foster innovation. Translation, basically, toll roads, push public transit. Remove free travel, environmental restrictions. So you're not going to just be able to go when, wherever, whenever, however. No, you're going to be taxed. You're going to be asked to pay a fee. You're going to have instructions on when you can travel, how you can travel, and how much it's going to cost you to travel. There is no more free travel anymore. Goal number 10, reduce inequality. Now, doesn't this sound like fun? Reduce inequality within and among countries. Translation, even more regional government bureaucracy like a mutant like a mutant octopus. Well, the main body of that octopus is the Vatican, and the tentacles are stretching its tentacles throughout all the world. And that's what that octopus is. Octopus is the Vatican, and its tentacles reach around the globe, the, the, the earth, the world. Goal number 11, make cities and human settlements inclusive, safe, resilient, and sustainable. Basically, big brother, big data surveillance state, you know. And uh, goal number 12, and who is your big brother? Well, that's, that's the Vatican. That's your shadow government. Big data surveillance state. You know. Ensure sustainable consumption and production patterns, so forced austerity. Goal number 13, take urgent action to combat climate change and its impacts. Translation, cap and trade, carbon taxes, credits, footprint taxes. You're going to be taxed for breathing. You're going to be taxed for farting. I mean, sorry. I mean, I know that's kind of, you know, I mean, but that's, I think that's basically it. You're, you're going to be taxed for every little rev of the engine that comes from your car. You're going to be taxed for every footstep you make. You ever see the pictures of the wheelbarrows of cash that 
these poor civilians in Germany had to do just to buy a loaf of bread. That's what it's going to come down to, folks. That's what it's basically coming down to. That's your redistribution of wealth now, isn't it? Tax you to oblivion so that we can feed the poor. <laughs> Take from one, give to the other. And it's just so funny that the one that is at the head of this spear tip is the papacy, the Vatican. The one who has, quote-unquote, uncalculable amount of riches. Now, you would think if they believe in this such this redistribution of wealth that they would start within their own house, now would they? But no, it is our responsibility. And it is going to be forced to, we are going to be forced to acknowledge that responsibility. Goal number 14, conserve and sustainably use the oceans, seas, and marine resources for sustainable development. Oh, I love that. Every time you think you see the word sustainable development, think population reduction or megacity merging. Translation, environmental restrictions control all oceans, including mineral rights from ocean floors. Uh, I mean, they, they got their grounds covered. Goal number 15, protect, restore, and promote sustainable use of terrestrial ecosystems, sustainably manage forests, combat desertification, and halt and reverse land degradation, and halt biodiversity loss. Translation, more environmental restrictions, more controlling resources, and mineral rights. You know, this whole thing with climate change, okay, really what this amounts to, and obviously we now know it's basically public for all the world to see that the Pope is, is at the head of this whole climate change agenda. And it's not just this Pope, folks. I mean, all, all the Popes prior to him were behind this whole global agenda. It's, 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 it's their agenda. You know, but what this... Uh, What climate change and global warming is, is basically it goes like this. God, who created the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that in them is, the fish of the sea, the, the fowls of the air, everything basically created a planet that is unable to sustain humans up to a certain population. Since we have this huge population growth of humans on this earth, or man on this earth, and it just seems like we're responsible for the destruction of the ecosystems and the oceans and the fish of the sea and these types of things. Now, I understand that the result of the earth groaning and travailing and these types of things is the result of sin, okay? I understand that. But I also know this, that God did not create an earth that was not capable of sustaining man. God has created an earth that was more than capable of sustaining us. Okay, But here comes man who basically says, well, God kind of got this wrong kind of made a mistake here, but it's our responsibility and we're going to fix it. We're going to recreate this, okay? 
And so that's essentially what this global warming is, 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 is just like what Robert Schuller states. It takes away the aspect of a God-centered religion and puts more emphasis on a man-centered religion so that man becomes like God. Man is going to fix these problems, and you're either going to go along with it or you're going to die, basically. Uh, so goal number 16, oh, here we go with that word again. Promote peaceful and inclusive societies for sustainable development. So what are the exclusive societies? True born-again Bible-believing Christians, real Protestants, ones that consider the Pope to be the Antichrist, those radical fundamentalists, okay, you are not part of an inclusive society, folks. You are an exclusive society, and they have to be dealt with. So again, promote peaceful and, and inclusive society for sustainable development, provide access to justice for all, and build effective, accountable, and inclusive institutions at all levels. Inclusive to whom? Well, inclusive to canon law. Inclusive to Catholicism rather directly or indirectly. You don't have to go to church on Sunday to be considered Roman Catholic. All you got to do is preach futurism, and that's Roman Catholic enough. <laughs> All you got to do is basically support this whole redistribution, redistribution of wealth. You're Catholic enough. All you got to do is just acknowledge the whole Robin Hood thing. Sounds great, doesn't it? Take from the rich, give to the poor. All you got to do is acknowledge theft and stealing. And that's good enough for Rome. You're inclusive. I'm telling you, this whole thing is going to be between man's rules and God's rules. God's rules are this, and man's rules are this. Who's your king here? Is it the Pope, or is it the King of Kings, or is it the false King of Kings? That's the choice you're going to have to make. And so the translation of this is. Well, the UN peace, quote-unquote, peacekeeping missions, the International Court of Blind Justice, force people together via fake refugee crisis and then mediate with more UN peacekeeping. Don't we have this refugee crisis going on here in the U.S. Um, and in Europe now? You know, so now we have this UN peacekeeping missions, Okay, so fake refugee crisis and then mediate with more UN peacekeeping. When tension breaks out to gain more control over region, remove Second Amendment in the USA. Well, not really remove the Second Amendment, just redefine it. You know, that's basically removing it. You know, I mean, they're not going to remove it. It's not going to be removed off the off the documents. It's just going to be redefined. That's I mean, that's basically all it is. And goal number 17, strengthen the means of implementation and revitalize the global partnership for sustainable development. Okay. And remove national sovereignty worldwide so that every human so that every human being will be subject to the Roman pontiff. Okay, remove national sovereignty worldwide, promote globalism under the quote-unquote authority 
and bloated Orwellian bureaucracy of the UN. Let me just restate that. Promote globalism under the authority and bloated Orwellian bureaucracy of the Vatican. The Vatican's your big brother, folks. <laughs> you like it or not. That's your big brother. He's watching you. He's watching you, and he's every step you take, he's watching you. And uh, doesn't that sound nice? Here's another agenda-type goal, and it's called America 2050. Okay, and you know this is uh, this is interesting. This is a snapshot of the future. There are a number of prominent players emerging in this enslavement of America, and one has taken center stage, and it is called America 2050. When Americans begin their morning as they depart their high-rise, quote-unquote, stack-and-pack apartments, and we'll get to what those apartments are, building, they will be immediately scanned, identified, and followed by the IntelliStreet light poles. The light poles already have been beta-tested in Farmington Hills, Michigan. Woohoo! I am so excited. I'm, I'm here in Michigan. I did not know that they were beta-tested here. Wow. Light poles already have been beta-tested in Farmington Hills, Michigan and in Birmingham, UK. And we'll scan you for weapons after identifying you. They will have the capability to speak to you, i.e. don't jaywalk, Mr. Smith. Issue summons to be mailed to your computer and notify the police of your location if you have a warrant for your arrest. In the last line of the following manufactured video on IntelliStreet, they admit the Housing Department of Homeland Security features, but the video does not elaborate. There was a video that was attached to this uh, uh, article and it's on the Common Sense Show, and you can uh, get that. As a matter of fact, I'll just go ahead and give you the link if you want to watch the video. This is gonna let me. Oh, come on. Um. Oh, you're gonna be a pain in the neck, aren't you? There we go. All right. You can go ahead and watch that video. All you got to do is just type it in, but at your leisure. Some of the DHS features would include what is loosely referred to as mind-reading technology. You know, that's, that's, also, that's also an agenda of the papacy all throughout the ages. You're not even to be able to think consciously. You're, you're, your conscience is not even supposed to be thinking an opposite of what the papacy wants for you. Okay. You have no freedom. You are controlled. Doesn't this sound like the Dark Ages? Let's just rephrase it as the technological Dark Ages. That's exactly what this is. It's the Dark Ages all over again, folks. It's just on a global scale. It's just, you know, technology rules the day now, and not just a whole bunch of people in black hooded robes, you know, knocking at your door at 12 o'clock at night, you know. But instead, you know, you're just going to have the SWAT teams and, you know, the police, the Fed, and these types of things, and, you know, whatever type of police agencies that are over there in Europe. I mean, that's basically what's going to be now. 
You know, if you're not going to have robe figures, you might still have your robe figures. I'm not saying you're not going to. Oh, by the way, did you know that the head of the uh, the head inquisitor actually is based in, in uh, San Francisco, California, here in the, here in America. You know the Congregation for the Doctrines of the Faith, which had its name changed from the Holy Inquisition. Yeah, yeah. The new head inquisitor is actually based right here in California. So, nice little tidbit of information there. The Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, or DARPA, is investing $70 million, I wonder where that's coming from, your pocket and mine, to develop a new implant that can track and respond to brain signals in real time. In the summer of 2013, I was contacted by an anonymous source who wanted to come on my show and expose a DARPA program of mind reading being researched and implemented at Arizona State University less than two days before a scheduled appearance, blah, 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 blah. You know, IntelliStreets is part of the overall smart grid system. Prominent scientists such as globalist Mikhail Frakius, I'd like to look at his credentials, see what school he came from, who serves as the chief scientist for the UN's planet under pressure, boldly states in his best Fabian socialist voice that people should be required to reside in densely populated cities because we, quote, certainly don't want them strolling about the entire countryside. We want them to save land for nature, by living closely together. The Bible says something about not being joined house to house. Okay? So, the America 2050, the America 2050 plans include high-speed bullet, high bullet trains, which will only be used to connect the 11 megacities. These federally funded projects are already underway. Again, you can probably type in the America 2050 plan or America 2050 and you might be able to get your boat loaded on that, do some dot connecting, look at the players that are at the head of it, and look at their credentials, look at their education, and you'll be able to see where they're coming from. You know, that's why, you know, this stuff is not really that hard to figure out who is at the tip of it, you know. New York City, San Francisco, Chicago, and Fort Collins, Colorado are just a few of the many communities that are building micro-apartments. And again, it is interesting that the head inquisitor for the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith is right smack dab in California. So these stack and pack apartments. Well, here I am. I'm looking at a picture, and it's roughly a 300-square-foot little uh, piece of it's like a block <laughs> you're, you're, you're living in the flat and uh, you know you got a couple little tiny totes here and you know a little itty bitty desk um, I mean you can't pack too much a little itty bitty desk you know you could probably get yourself a tiny little mini kid chair to sit in front of your computer there and you know, it's nice. You got a nice little mini fridge here. Um, this, I mean, it basically seems like it's about the same size as a jail cell, maybe a little bit bigger. And, you know, you got a little tiny walk-in closet where you can have maybe a couple pairs of shirts and clothes, pants, and then you have a little spot on the top for you to lay your nice layer uh rear your little head down and this could obviously be your home, your home in this new uh, 
big brother, big Vatican brother <laughs> styled communities. And if you're caught outside these cities, well, you know, I'm sure they have a nice special place for you. But, uh, I mean, this is, that's basically it. You know, I mean, that will be your nice little living quarters. And you can only have these living quarters if you go along and if you remain inclusive to the papal agenda, the Vatican agenda. You want to keep your job? Well, you got to remain part of this global system. You know, you 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 want to keep having a roof over your head? You got to be inclusive to the system. Um, but Jesus Christ said that there is a kingdom that's at hand, and and uh, our His kingdom is not of this world, and so our kingdom should not be of this world. So eventually, you're going to have to make a choice. That's what uh, we've been saying all along. In uh, Revelation 18.2 through 16. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the Great is fallen. See, this is a fallen, this is a fallen, fallen world, folks. It's already fallen. We know how the book ends. It is fallen and has become the habitation of devils and a hold of every foul spirit and a cage of unclean and hate, of every unclean and hateful bird. Okay, you know this is that city, that Vatican city. For all nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Okay, she rules over the kings of the earth. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And again, her wealth is incalculable, folks. You all talk about the Rothschilds being the richest family in this world. Well, how about the Vatican's wealth? It's incalculable. Yeah, sure, Francis Rooney will say, oh, no, you know, the, the Vatican's wealth only amounts to a billion dollars. And if that's not a bunch of crock, I don't know what it is. <laughs> All you got to do is just go to one Catholic church alone outside the Vatican and just, you know, just look around. Look around. <clears throat> if you go to Encyclopedia Judaica, you'll realize that the Rothschilds are a Nida Malta servant of the Vatican. Okay, they are hired by the Vatican. They are the guardians of the treasury of the Vatican. They are the bankers for the Vatican, but they are not the head of it all. Oh, well, they're Jews, so they must be the head of it all. No, they're not. <laughs> okay? <clears throat> the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Be exclusive of her, my people. Be exclusive. Okay? But... This world says, no, be inclusive. Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her doubling according to her works in the cup which she hath filled, filled to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her, 
For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and am no widow, and am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. I see, I sit a queen, I sit as a mother, and you know I have some daughters that kind of fell by the wayside, but I'm going to get them back. And she has. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And the kings of the earth, well, who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her, shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and of fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet. Wow, does that sound familiar? Purple and scarlet. And all all thyine wood and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble. Do you know that the, that the Pope sits in a white marble throne, by the way? Hmm, white throne. And cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. <sighs> souls of men. You know, the Vatican claims that they are such in a fight against human trafficking. <laughs> well, what Revelation 18.13 basically states that she has control over the souls of men. But yet, she is totally against human trafficking, huh? You bet your bottom dollar that that's for public consumption. And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches has come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors, you can kind of think of trading, e economics, and these types of things. For in one hour so great riches has come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships, sailors, and as many as trade by sea, you know, this whole Trans-Pacific Partnership thing is going to be burnt up. It's all coming to an end, folks. Stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich, all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness for one hour she made desolate. Folks, it is the Vatican through their diocese and archdiocese, Opus Dei, Jesuit Order, Knights of Malta, Secret Society that run this show. And that's exactly what it is. This world is a stage. The whole world is deceived. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that basically closed out the current events that I had. That's a lot to swallow now, isn't it? You know, I'm sure if you want to step away and 
take a breather. <laughs> you may do so, but this broadcast must go on. I got a couple more things I need to cover. And, you know, I mean, you know, it's, these are some tough, uh, sobering, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough, sobering reality. It really is. Um, but, I mean, it is what it is. The Lord said it'll be this way, and <laughs> it is this way. So, I mean, either accept it and come out of it or don't accept it and join them. You know, I mean, that's that, that's really all I can say. Um, so what's next on this uh, agenda here of today's broadcast? We're going to be looking at a couple more quotes on the Words of a Beast page. And these quotes are going to be Quotes that declare the Pope infallible. And, and so let's go ahead and get started with that. Okay. So the quotes declaring Pope the Pope's infallible. The first one come, that comes to mind. Uh, is from the star.com Monday, February 18th, 2013. This is very recent. So if an infallible Pope can abdicate for ages or ill health, <laughs> I, 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 I like the excuses they give here. You know, you know the, the Pope's infallible, but he can... You know, he can uh, step away from his place of rulership, you know, because, hey, he's sick, you know. I mean, doesn't the God, of, I mean, doesn't God get sick? Doesn't God get ill? You know, I mean, doesn't the infallible God of the Bible get sick of ill health? And doesn't he have to come off the throne once in a while? <laughs> if an infallible pope can abdicate for age or ill health, why not scandal or mismanagement? Why not from a palace coup or popular revolt? Some conservatives were not pleased. Stanislaw Cardinal Jaiwiz, who was private secretary to the late Pope John Paul II, noted that Benedict's predecessor stayed in his job despite great physical suffering. Quote, one doesn't come down from the cross. So maybe all the other polls were infallible, but Benedict XVI just uh, just didn't cut it, you know. Apparently God must have made a mistake. Uh, from 1994, so this is again pretty recent. Quote, the Roman pontiff, head of the College of Bishops, enjoys this infallibility in virtue of his office when, as supreme pastor and teacher of all the faithful, who confirms his brethren in the faith, he proclaims by a definitive act a doctrine pertaining to faith or morals. The infallibility promised to the church is also present in the body of bishops when, together with Peter's successor, they exercise the supreme magisterium. 
above all, in an ecumenical council, when the church through its supreme magisterium proposes a doctrine for belief as being divinely revealed and as the teachings of Christ, the definitions must be adhered to with obedience of faith. So essentially, when the Pope speaks ex cathedra, meaning speaks at, you know, speaks ex cathedral from the throne, from the throne of God, as the head of the church, he is to be obeyed by faith. Must be adhered to with the obedience of faith. This infallibility extends as far as the deposit of divine revelation itself. End quote. Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 891, 1994 edition. This is uh, quoted in the New York Catechism. Quote, the Pope takes the place of Jesus Christ on earth. Well, nice. By divine right, the Pope has supreme and full power in faith and morals over each and every pastor and his flock. He is the true vicar, the head of the entire church, the father and teacher of all Christians. He ain't, no, he ain't my father and teacher. He might be the father and teacher of all Catholics, but not Christians. He is the infallible ruler, the founder of dogmas, the author of and the judge of councils, the universal ruler of truth, the arbiter of the world, the supreme judge of heaven and earth, the judge of all being judged by no one, God himself on earth, quoted in the New York Catechism. All right. Quote, the Pope's authority is unlimited, incalculable. It can strike, as Innocent III says, wherever sin is. It can punish everyone. It allows no appeal and is itself sovereign caprice for the Pope carries, according to the expression of Boniface VIII, all rights in the shrine of his breast as he has now become infallible. He can, by the use of the little word, or be, which means that he turns himself round to the whole church, make every rule, every doctrine, every demand into a certain and incontestable article of faith. No right can stand against him, no personal or corporate liberty, or, as the Roman Catholic canonists put it, quote, the tribunal of God and of the Pope is one and the same. Ignaz von Dollinger, quote, a, li a letter addressed to the Archbishop of Munich, 1871, as quoted as McDougall, the Act, the Act of Newman Relations, Florida University Press, page 119 and 120. <sighs> and, again, this, this, this man, this, this sinful man, just signed off on these 2030 agenda goals. So what does that tell you? What does that tell you who is at the head of these 2030 agenda goals that was just signed off on after he left the UN or while he was at the UN? Titles of Pope that confirms he stands as Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2.4 says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, 
showing himself that he is God. Okay, that, that word sitteth basically means he sits at, at the cathedral seat, the, 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 the ex cathedra from the throne. He sits as the head of the church. And so let's go ahead and look at some of these uh, nice little titles. And uh, I'll go over these a little bit slow so you can maybe type these in and get some more confirmation in here. Quote-unquote, the most divine of all heads. Quote-unquote, holy father of fathers. Quote-unquote, pontiff supreme over prelates. Quote-unquote, overseer of the Christian religion. Quote-unquote, pastor of pastors. Christ of unction. Abraham by patriarchate or patriarchates. It's a weird word. Melchizedek in order. So he is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. Did you know that the Pope is a priest after the order of Melchizedek? You know, you can go to Hebrews and read all about the Pope there. <clears throat> he is Moses in authority. Samuel in the judicial office. These are all titles attributed to the Pope, probably throughout all their encyclicals. High priest, supreme bishop, heir to the apostles, Peter in power key bearer of the kingdom of heaven, pontiff appointed with plenitude of power, vicar of Christ, vicar of the Son of God, sovereign priest, hand of all the holy churches, chief of the universal church, bishop of bishops, ruler of the house of the Lord. Ay, 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 ay. Apostolic lord and father of fathers, chief pastor and teacher. These are all titles that are attributed to the papacy, folks. He is our physician. He is the rock against which the proud gates of hell prevail not. He is the infallible Pope, head of all the holy priests of God, chief bridge maker. This guy is no short of arrogant, is he? And here are some additional info on some of the names. Pontifex Maximus is a papal title, meaning in Latin, chief bridge maker between earth and heaven. However, Jesus Christ is the only one who can claim this title because no man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14:6. This was a title of the Roman Caesars and of the Roman emperors of paganism. Holy Father. You know, what's, what's interesting about the title Holy Father is um, if you do a nice little study on uh, the Mithra religion, is the Mithra religion is essentially Catholicism. When you look at the hierarchy of Mithraism, you, you have your you have your priests, you have your bishops, you have your archbishop, and the very head of that religion actually is Holy Father. Okay, now obviously just so just like what Catholicism has, has done is they have taken Mithra, Mithraism, and a and put in Christian titles in place of these of this hierarchy. And so essentially, when you look at Catholicism, you're looking at Mithraism. Okay? Holy Father is a title the Pope claims for himself. However, this occurs only once in the Bible and used when Jesus addresses his Heavenly Father in John 17:11, and his great prayer before his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. And Father is a title that every Roman Catholic priest claims for himself and expects to be called. Jesus warns in Matthew 23, 9, Call no man your father upon the earth, for what is your father which is in heaven? The 
Catholic priest is not regarded in Scripture to be anyone's spiritual father. So if you see a priest, you know, and he starts talking to you, don't call him father. You know, just, you know, I mean, if he says his name or whatever, I'm father so-and-so, then just say, well, hello, so-and-so. You don't call him father. Just like you're not supposed to call any Jew rabbi either. Monsignor, this means my Lord, and this clearly is a title belonging only to God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Reverend, this one is a biggie, okay? And uh, even some Protestants are guilty of this. Even, you know, and I don't, you know, I can't say if J.A. Wiley referred to himself as Reverend, but if you look at the title of his book, it does say R-E-V-J-A Wiley. Now, I don't know if that's a title that, you know, has been put in front of his name to basically uh, give us the unction that he is just the same as Catholicism or not. But um, Reverend is a title of many Roman Catholic priests and Protestant ministers. This is also a title for God and God alone. In Psalms 111, verse 9, it says, quote, Holy and reverend is his name. It is blasphemy for any man to take to himself a title of God. Protestant or Catholic. Mother of God, the title given to Mary, which denotes blasphemy as a diverse worship to Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus Christ's humanity, but not the mother of Jesus Christ's divinity. Okay? And so we have another section here. The popes and priests declare they can forgive the sins of men. Let's go ahead and look at a couple of these. I'm not going to read them all, but... Oh, maybe I will. The section is quite short. <sighs> All right, so here's a quote. Were the, Redeemer, uh, were the Redeemer to descend into a church and sit in a confessional to administer the sacrament of penance, and a priest to sit in a confessional, Jesus would say over each penitent, Ego te absolvo. The priest would likewise say over each of his penitents, Ego te absolvo and the penitence of each would be equally absolved, end quote. This is uh, Out of the Catholic Priest by Michael Mueller, Cruiser Brothers, 1876, quote, The priest does, does not only declare that the sinner is forgiven, but he really forgives him. So great is the power of the priest that the judgments of heaven itself, this is so arrogant, i got to read this again, the priest does not only declare that the sinner is forgiven, but he really forgives him. So great is the power of the priest that the judgments of heaven itself are subject to his decision. From the L.A. Times, you know the same L.A. Times that basically said, oh, the Jews run Hollywood. Well, don't go to God for forgiveness of sins. Come to me, says Pope John Paul II. Who really controls the L.A. Times? Quote, and God himself is obliged to abide by the judgment of his priests, and either not to pardon or to pardon according as they refuse to give absolution, provided the penitent is capable of it. This is from Ligori, Duties and Dignities of the Priest, page 27. This is from the Catholic Encyclopedia, volume 12, article Pope, page 265. Quote, this judicial authority will even include the power to forgive sin. 
probably in next week's broadcast, I'm going to cover cover the uh, letter of indulgence that Pope Francis just recently put out for his upcoming jubilee. And I'm just going to go over some paraphrasing this, but if you go to the Vatican website and you go under letters, make sure you have it translated into English if you can only understand English. Go into the section called letters, and then you're going to find his letter of indulgence. And basically the indulgence is... Well, the the indulgence letter basically states that he has granted the priest the power to forgive the sin of abortion throughout this year of mercy, and you can make an indulgence. And this indulgence requires that all you got to do is either go to a you know a certain cathedral, you know maybe your local your local cathedral. Uh, and pray for Pope Francis and possibly make a pilgrimage to Rome and you will receive an indulgence. You know, so you know, so if you want your sins forgiven for your past and possibly your future, um, just uh, go ahead and do these things and uh, you will be granted indulgence by the priest and the Pope himself. All you got to do is go to the church and uh, pray for the Pope. <clears throat> That's up there. All you gotta do is go to the Vatican website, and you know, again, you just go into this section that says letters, and you'll be able to find it. God Himself is obliged to abide by the judgment of His priests. All right, I read that one. Okay, so the poor sinner kneels at his confessor's confessor's feet. He knows he is not speaking to an ordinary man, but to another Christ. He bears the words, I absolve thy sins, and the hideous load of sins drops from his souls forever. End quote. William Doyle, Shall I Be a Priest, page 14 and 15. All right. Okay. Should I continue with this next section? Vatican declared its murderous hatred for Bible believers. I'll read a couple quotes from this. Um, let's see. From from J.A. Wiley, uh, B16, Chapter 1, says, Therefore the Pope ordered, quote, that malicious and abominable sect of malignants, quote, if they refuse to abjure, to be crushed like venomous snakes. And then this is also from Wiley, B16, Chapter 1, quote, absolved from all ecclesiastical pains and penalties, general in particular, it released all who joined the crusade from any oaths they might have taken. It legitimized their title to any property they might have illegally acquired and promised remission of all their sins to such as should kill any heretic. It annulled all contracts made in favor of the ordered their domestics to abandon them, forbade all persons to give them any aid, whatever, and empowered all persons to take possessions of their property. And I could think none other of the recent event of Tony Alamo Ministries. If you don't know anything of that, the mainstream media will basically come at you and state that uh, Tony Alamo's uh, church was basically full of uh, child molesters and abusers and these types of things. And the mainstream media story will go out and say that they raided the place and ransacked it and took all the children to their care and confiscated their properties. And now Tony Alamo was sentenced to 170 years in prison, I believe. But 
when you look at the actual eyewitness accounts and the fact that they were not the, they were not able to find any evidence whatsoever of any kind, well, yeah, they took possessions of their property and they have totally persecuted that church and they are still being persecuted to this day because they have not compromised of what their beliefs are of who the papacy is. And that's a very recent example of the persecutions that the Vatican declares for Bible believers. Let's see. This is from uh, Thompson, the papacy and the civil power. Quote, there was no village of the Baudois Valleys but had its martyrs. So while dens were burned, they were cast into damp and horrid dungeons. They were smothered in crowds in mountain caverns, mothers and babes and old men and women together. They were sent out into exile in the winter night, unclothed and unfed, to climb the snowy mountains. They were hurled over the rocks. Their houses and lands were taken from them. Their children were stolen to be indoctrinated with the religion which they abhorred. Again, think back to the Tony Alamo ministries and what happened to those children. Rapacious individuals were sent among them to strip them of their property, to persecute and exterminate them. Thousands of heretics or Waldenses, old men, women, and children were hung, quartered, broken upon the wheel, or burned alive, and their property confiscated for the benefit of the king and holy see. Let's see here. This is out of the Western Watchman, November 21st, uh, 1912. On August 24th, 1572, Roman Catholics in France, by prearranged plan under Jesuit influence, murdered 70,000 Protestants within the space of two months. The Pope rejoiced when he heard the news of successful outcome. Okay. Uh, Catholics say only 30,000 were slain. Protestants put the number at 70,000. We prefer the latter figure. If there were 70,000 Huguenots, French Protestants in Paris, the night of the massacre, so much the more justification for the slaughter. We have heard ring out many times the very bells that called the Catholics together on that fatal night. They always sounded sweetly in our ears, end quote. So, I mean... History of Romanism by John Dowling, quote, from the birth of popery to the present time. It is estimated by careful and credible historians that more than 50 million of the human family have been slaughtered for the crime of heresy, and that number has been ranged from, from anywhere from 50 to 500 million for the crime of heresy by popish persecutors, an average of more than 40,000 religious murders for every year of the existence of popery to the present day. Of course, the average number of victims yearly was vastly greater, during those gloomy ages when popery was in her glory and reigned, reigned deep the spot of the world, and it has been much less since the power of the popes has diminished to tyrannize over the nations and to compel the princes of the earth by the terrors of excommunication, interdiction, and deep position to butcher their heretical subjects. So it only appears that uh, the papal persecutions has, has diminished when in a sense he is again with one hand on the desk, the under the other hand under the table, you know, with a gun in his hand. And um that's basically how uh he does the business today. 
much like, you know, perfect example, Charles Manson. You know, Charles Manson, he was a cult leader of his Manson family, and, you know, he, 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 he I believe he killed one person, but what did he do? He actually had his subjects go and do the dirty work for him. And that's just an outward example of what the Pope does, you know. So all you got to do is look at some, you know, Exam- some public examples, and you'll be able to put some more puzzles, some more pieces of the puzzle together. Okay. Let's see here. The Catholic Church has persecuted, and when she thinks it is good to use physical force, she will use it. Will the Catholic Church give bond that she will not pers- persecute? The Catholic Church gives no bonds for her good behavior, end quote. Western Watchman, December 24, 1908. Public Ecclesiastical, Volume 2, page 140-42, states, quote, The Church may be made by divine right, confiscate the property of heretics, imprison their persons, and condemn them to, to the flames. In our age, the right to inflict the, sever, the severest penalties, even death, belongs to the Church. There is no prayer offense in, there is no graver offense than heresy. Therefore, it must be rooted out. You know, so, you know, and I want to go back to this quote here from the Western Watchman in 1908. The Catholic Church has persecuted when she thinks it is good to use physical force. She will use it. And, well, it might not seem like she's using physical force right now because, we're at an age of liberalism within the church where, you know, you know, even though she's not physically using force behind the scenes, it is responsible for the deaths of millions of people today. Okay. So eventually is that pension going to swing the other way? Well, I think the Bible basically declares that the answer is yes. All right, so Mr. This is a Mr. Raywood Fraser in the booklet quote Catholic words and action actions quote presence doc, pres, presence documentary proof of the intensive persecution of Protestants and non-Catholics in Colombia, South America between 1949 and 1953. The Catholic Church had the support of the Colombian government in the destruction of many churches and the liquidation of more than 1,000 documented cases, some of whom were shot, drowned, or emasculated. He says there's evidence of over 60,000 killed. Pope Pius XII awarded the President of Colombia with one of the highest awards which a church bestows and praised Colombia for its example of the Catholic faith. So that is the Roman Catholic faith from page 59 and 60 out of uh, Raywood Fraser's booklet, Catholic, Worlds, Catholic Words and Actions. And... Uh, you know, and, and I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. Um, let's see. Quote, they who bury persons knowing them to be excommunicated or their receivers, defenders, or favorers shall not be absolved unless they dig up the corpse and the place shall be deprived of the usual immunities of, of 
sepulture, Pope Alexander IV, page 104. All defenses denied to heretics, page 153. For the suspicion alone of heresy, purgation is demanded. So all you got to do is, is just be deemed suspicious. Doesn't that sound similar that even if you seem suspicious of quote-unquote terrorism, that the punishment of terrorism must be commenced? Kind of sounds like an image to the beast, sort of, maybe. Heretics are by right condemned. Quote, he who is without the church can neither be reconciled nor saved. By the way, the Bible says, Luke 3.14, do violence to no man. You know, I figured that would be uh, a good way to end this segment. Catholic priests claim power over God himself. And then we'll probably continue this uh, Words of the Beast section in next week's broadcast. So, again, this is just more proof of what uh, what this church is all about. And, uh, again, we're going to be forced to make a choice sooner or later. And there are people out here, and even though the, the, the rooms seem empty, um, they're doing what they can to get this word out, preparing us, preparing you, preparing me, uh, that there is a choice that is going to have to be made. And hopefully we are getting you guys ready to make that choice when it comes. Um, with much prayer, with much prayer and study of the scriptures. Okay. Excuse me. So we are now going to be going back to history here, entitled The History of Protestantism by J.A. Wiley. And this section is titled The Development of the Papacy from Gregory VII to Boniface VIII. Gregory VII to Boniface VIII. Pardon me while I get a sip of water. And the sections that are going to be uh, included in this is the Wax of Investiture, Gregory VII and Henry IV, the Minor Triumphs over the Empire, Noon of the Papacy under Innocent III, Continue to Boniface VIII, First and Last Estate of the Roman Pastors Contrasted, Seven Centuries of Continuous Success, Interpreted by Some as a Proof that the Papacy is Divine, Reasons Explaining This Marvelous Success, and Eclipsed by the Gospel's Progress. We come now to the last great struggle. There lacked one grade of power to complete and crown this stupendous fabric of dominion. The spiritual supremacy was achieved in the 7th century. The temporal sovereignty was attained in the 8th. It wanted only the pontifical supremacy, sometimes, although improperly styled the temporal supremacy to make the Pope supreme over kings, as he had already become over peoples and bishops and to vest in him a jurisdiction that has not its like on earth, a jurisdiction that is unique inasmuch as it arrogates all powers, absorbs all rights, and burns all limits, destined before terminating its career to crush beneath its iron foot thrones and nations 
and masking and, and ambition as astute as Lucifer's with a dissimulation as profound. This power advanced at first with noiseless steps and stole upon the world as night steals upon it. But as it neared the goal, its strides grew longer and swifter till at last it vaulted over the throne of monarchs into the seat of God. This great war we shall now proceed to consider when the Pope at an early stage claimed to be the vicars of Christ. They virtually challenged that boundless jurisdiction of which their product era beheld them in actual possession. But they knew that it would be imprudent, indeed impossible, as yet to assert it in actual fact. Their motto was spes messis in semine, discerning the harvest and the seed. They were content, meanwhile, to lodge the principle of supremacy in their creed and in the general mind of Europe, knowing that future ages would fructify and ripen it. Towards this, <coughs> excuse me. Towards this, they began to work quietly, yet skillfully and perseveringly. At length came overt and open measures. It was now the year 1073. The papal chair was filled by perhaps the greatest of all the popes, Gregory VII, the noted Hildebrand, daring and ambitious beyond all who had preceded and beyond most of those who had followed him on the papal throne. Gregory fully grasped the great idea of theocracy. He held that the reign of the Pope was but another name for the reign of God, and he resolved never to rest till that idea had been realized in the subjection of all authority and power. Spiritual and temporal to the chair of Peter, when he drew out, says Janus, the whole system of papal omnipotence. In 27th thesis and his dictatus, these theses were partly mere repetitious or corollaries of the Isidorian decretals. And we discussed what the decretals were. They're based, I mean, basically, the Vatican is the king of forged documents. And they can basically write whatever they want, and they consider it as gospel. Partly, he and his friends sought to give them the appearance of tradition and antiquity by new fictions. We may take the following as samples. The 11th maxim says, quote, the Pope's name is the chief name in the world, end quote. The 12th teaches that it is lawful for him to depose emperors. The 18th affirms that his decision is to be withstood by none, but he alone may annul those of all men. Now, do you think this stuff has changed today? I don't think so. The 19th declares that he can be judged by no one. The 25th vests in him the absolute power of deposing and restoring bishops. And the 27th, the power of annulling the allegiance of subjects. Such was the gauge that Gregory flung down the kings and nations of the world. We say of the world, for the pontifical supremacy embraces all who dwell upon the earth. Now began the war between the mitre and the emperor and the empire. Gregory's object in this war being to wrest from the emperors the power of appointing the bishops and the clergy generally, and to assume into his own soul and irresponsible hands the whole of that intellectual and spiritual machinery by which Christendom was governed. The strife was a bloody one. The mitre, though sustaining occasional reverses, continued nevertheless to gain steadily upon the empire. The spirit of the times helped the priesthood in their struggle with the civil power.
The age was superstitious to the core, and though in no wise spiritual, it was very thoroughly ecclesiastical. The Crusades, and by the way, George W. Bush just recently used the words crusade roughly about 14 years ago. The Crusades, too, broke the spirit and drained the wealth of the princes. While the growing power and augmenting riches of the clergy cast the balance even more and more against the state. So since it drained the wealth of the princes, these crusades, doesn't the crusades today drain the wealth of the people out of the expense of your tax dollars? Yes, they do. That's what you're paying for. For a brief space, Gregory VII tasted in his own case the luxury of wielding this more than mortal power. There came a gleam through the awful darkness of the tempest he had raised, not final victory, which was yet a century distant, but its presage. He had the satisfaction of seeing the emperor, Henry IV of Germany, whom he had smitten with excommunication, barefooted, and in raiment of sackcloth, waiting three days and nights at the castle gates of Canossa, amid the winter drifts, suing for forgiveness, but it was for a moment only that Hildebrand stood on this dazzling pinnacle. The fortune of war quickly turned. Henry, the man whom the Pope had so sorely humiliated, became victor in his turn. Gregory died in exile on the, prom on the promontory of Salerno, but his successors espoused his project and strove by wiles, by arms, and by anathemas to reduce the world under the scepter of the papal theocracy. For well nigh two dismal centuries, the conflict was maintained. How truly melancholy the record of these times. It exhibits to our sorrowing gaze many a stricken field, many an empty throne, many a city sacked, many a spot deluged with blood. But through all this confusion and misery, the idea of Gregory was perseveringly pursued till at last it was realized and the mitre was beheld triumphant over the empire. It was the fortune or the calamity of Innocent III from 1198 to 1216 to celebrate this great victory. Now it was that the pontifical supremacy reached its full development. One man, one will again govern the world. It is with a sort of stupefied awe that we look back to the 13th century and see in the foreground of the receding storm this colossus uprearing itself in the person of Innocent III, on his head, all the mitres of the church, and in his hand, all the scepters of the state. Quote, in each of the three leading objects which Rome has pursued, says Halam, quote, independent sovereignty, supremacy over the Christian church, control over the princes of the earth, it was the fortune of this pontiff to conquer. Rome, he says again, inspired during this age all the terror of her ancient name. She was once more mistress of the world, and kings were her vassals. You think that's changed today? Her deadly wounds healed, folks. What does that tell you? She had fought a great fight, and now she celebrated an unequal triumph. Innocent appointed all bishops. He summoned to his tribunal all causes. Uh, okay, I just lost my place. Wow. Um, uh, from the gravest affairs of mighty kingdoms to the private concerns of the humble citizen, 
He claimed all kingdoms as his, as his uh, fiefs, all monarchs as his vassals, and launched with unsparing hand the bolts of excommunication against all who withstood his pontifical will. Hildebrand's ideal was now fully realized. The pontifical supremacy was beheld in its plenitude, the plenitude of spiritual power and that of temporal power. It was the noon of the papacy, but the noon of the papacy was the midnight of the world. Do you ever hear the phrase these days, what, three minutes to midnight? Mm. The doomsday clock, so to speak. Well, J.A. Wiley realized what the doomsday clock was in the old world order. Now we have our own doomsday clock here in the new world order, which is going to be the relaunch of the old world order. The grandeur which the papacy now enjoined and the jurisdiction it wielded had received dogmatic expression, and one or two selections will enable it to paint itself as it was seen in its noon. Pope Innocent III affirmed, quote, that the pontifical authority so much exceeded the royal power as the sun doth the moon. End quote. Nor could he find words fitly to describe his own formidable functions, save those of Jehovah to his prophet Jeremiah. Quote, See, I have set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, and to destroy and to throw down. The church, my spouse, we find the same pope saying, Is not married to me without bringing me something. She hath given me a dowry of a price beyond all price, the plenitude of spiritual things and the extent of things temporal, the greatness and abundance of both. She hath given me the mitre and token of things spiritual, the crown and token of the temporal, the mitre for the priesthood and the crown for the kingdom, making me the lieutenant of him who hath written upon his vesture and on his thigh, the king of kings and the lord of lords, I enjoy alone the plenitude of power that others may say of me, next to God and out of his fullness have we received. Quote, we declare, says Boniface VIII, 1294 to 1303, in his bull Unum Sanctum, define, pronounce it to be necessary to salvation for every human creature to be subject to the Roman pontiff. And... That is the same unum sanctum that the church agrees with today, folks. It has not changed. This subjection is declared in the bowl of extent to all affairs. One sword, says the Pope, quote, must be under another, and the temporal authority must be subject to the spiritual power. Whence, if the earthly power go astray, it must be judged by the spiritual, end quote. And it's interesting that after the French Revolution and these types of things, you know, it was just, you know, it, it basically, you know, the papacy basically set itself as prisoner of the Vatican, you know, that it had a moral authority, so to speak. But behind the scenes, they were still making the laws for the entire world. Let me read this portion again. One sword, says the Pope, quote, must be under another, and the temporal authority must be subject to the spiritual power. Once if the earthly power go astray, it must be judged by the spiritual. Such are a few of the great words which were heard to issue from the Vatican Mount, that new Sinai, which like the old, encompassed by fiery terrors, had upreared itself in the midst 
of the astonished and affrogated nations of Christendom. What a contrast between the first and the last estate of the pastors of the Roman Church, between the humility and poverty of the first century and the splendor and power in which the 13th saw them enthroned. This contrast has not escaped the notice of the greatest of Italian poets, Dante, and one of his lightning flashes has brought it before us. He describes the first pastors of the church as coming, barefoot and lean, eating their bread, as chanced at the first table. And addressing Peter, he says, Even thou went forth in poverty and hunger to set the goodly plant that from the vine it once was, now is grown in sightly bramble. Petrarch dwells repeatedly and with more amplification on the same theme. We quote only the first and last stanzas of his sonnet on the Church of Rome. The fire of wrathful heaven alight, and all thy harlot tresses smite. Base city, thou from humble fare, thy acorns and thy water rose, to greatness rich with others' woes, rejoicing in the ruin thou despair, in former days thou wast not laid, on down nor under cooling shade. Thou naked to the winds wast given, and through the sharp and thorny road thy feet without the sandals trod, but now thy life is such it smells to heaven. It's become a stench in God's nostrils. There's something here out of the ordinary course. We have no desire to detract from the worldly wisdom of the popes. They were, in that respect, the ablest race of rulers the world ever saw. Their enterprise soared as high above the vastest scheme of other potentates and conquerors as their ostensible means of achieving it fell below theirs. To build such a fabric of dominion upon the gospel, every line of which repudiates and condemns it, to impose it upon the world without an army and without a fleet, to bow the necks not of ignorant peoples only, but of mighty potentates to it, nay, to persuade the letter to assist in establishing a power which they could hardly but foresee would clash themselves, to pursue this scheme through a succession of centuries without once meeting any serious check or repulse. For of the 130 popes between Boniface III, 606, who in partnership with Focus laid the foundations of the papal grandeur, and Gregory VII, who tint realized it onward through other two centuries to Innocent III, 1216, and Boniface VIII, 1303, who at last put the top stone upon it. Not one lost an inch of ground which, has, which his predecessors had gained. To do all this is, we repeat, something out of the ordinary course. There is nothing like it again in the whole history of the world. This success, continued through seven centuries, was audaciously interpreted into a proof of the divinity of the papacy. You know, that's funny, because when you read the Global Vatican, you know, he, 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 you know, it, I mean, it's a strong boast that basically just because the church throughout all its trials and tribulations has endured and survived, so this must be a divine church. <laughs> you know, and uh, J.A. Wiley is basically repeating um, the same thing in respect to those that are for the Church of Rome. Behold, it has been said, when the throne of Caesar was overturned, how the chair of Peter stood erect. Behold, 
when the barbarous nations rushed like a torrent into Italy, overwhelming laws, extinguishing knowledge, and dissolving society itself, how the ark of the church rode in safety on the flood. Behold, when the victorious hosts of the Saracen approached the gates of Italy, how they were turned back. Behold, when the mitre waged its great contest with the empire, how it triumphed. Behold, when the Reformation broke out, and it seemed as if the kingdom of the Pope was numbered and finished, how three centuries have been added to its sway. Behold, and fine, when the Revolution broke out in France and swept like a whirlwind over Europe, bearing down thrones and dynasties, how the bark of Peter outlived the storm and rode triumphant above the waves that engulfed apparently stronger structures. Is not this the church of which Christ said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? What else do the words of Cardinal Baronius mean? Boasting of a supposed donation of the kingdom of Hungary to the Roman see by Stephen, he says, quote, It fell out by a wonderful providence of God that at the very time when the Roman church might appear ready to fall and perish, even then distant kings approached the apostolic see, which they acknowledge and venerate as the only temple of the universe, the sanctuary of piety, the pillar of truth, the immovable rock, Behold, kings, not from the east as of old they came to the cradle of Christ, but from the north. Led by faith, they humbly approached the cottage of the fisher, the church of Rome herself, offering not only gifts out of their treasures, but bringing even kingdoms to her and asking kingdoms from her. Whoso is wise and will record these things, even he shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. But the success of the papacy, when closely examined, is not so surprising as it looks. It cannot be justly pronounced legitimate or fairly won. Rome has ever been swimming with the tide, the evils and passions of society, which a true benefactress would have made it her business to cure, at least to alleviate. Rome has studied, rather, to foster into strength, that she might be born to power on the foul current which she herself had created. Amid battles, bloodshed, and confusion has her path lain, the edicts of subservient councils, the forgeries of hireling priests, the arms of craven monarchs, and the thunderbolts of excommunication have never been wanting to open her path. Exploits won by weapons of the sort are what her historians delight to chronicle. These are the victories that constitute her glory. And then there remains yet another and great deduction from the apparent grandeur of her success in that, after all, it is the success of only a few a caste, the clergy, for although during her early career the Roman Church rendered certain important services to society of which it will delight us to make mention in fitting place when she grew to maturity and was able to develop her real genius. It was felt and acknowledged by all that her principles implied the ruin of all interests save her own and that there was room in the world for none but herself. If her march, as shown in history, down to the 16th century is ever onwards, it is not less true that behind, on her path, lie the wrecks of nations and the ashes of literature, of liberty, and of civilization. Nor can we help observing that the career of Rome, with all the fictitious brilliance that encompasses it, is utterly eclipsed when placed beside the silent and sublime progress of the gospel. Here comes the good part. 
The latter we see winning its way over mighty obstacles solely by the force and sweetness of its own truth. It touches the deep wounds of society only to heal them. It speaks not to awaken but to hush the rough voice of strife and war. It enlightens, purifies, and blesses men wherever it comes. And it does all this so gently and unboastingly. Reviled, it reviles not again. For curses, it returns blessings. It unsheathes no sword. It spills no blood. Cast into chains, its victories are as many as when free. And more glorious, dragged to the stake and burned from the ashes of the martyr, there start up a thousand confessors to speed out his career and swell the glory of its triumph. Compared with this, how different has been the career of Rome. As different, in fact, as the thundercloud which comes onward, mantling the skies in gloom and scathing the earth with fiery bolts, is different from the morning descending from the mountaintop, scattering around at the silvery light, and the awakening at its presence songs of joy. That's going to do it with this section of history of Protestantism, and this was uh, the uh, development of the papacy from Gregory the Seventh to Boniface the Eighth. And next Friday we will pick up on this uh, interesting journey through time of a chapter titled "Medieval Protestant Witnesses." And uh, this is going to do it for this broadcast. So until next time, thank you for listening. Truth be told, truth be known, stay safe, God bless, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.